Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. You can also follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. Email feedback to Aaron at paleorunner.org. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you sustained energy throughout your workout. It gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates. To get 10% off, use the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening on the podcast app for iPhone or iPad, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is Dr. Ron Sinha. He's, he's written the book, The South Asian Health Solution. Ron, it's great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Ron, so I'm really interested in your book title, The South Asian Health Solution. Why did you feel the need to focus on South Asia? It's a great question. I mean, when I started my medical practice about a decade ago, um, you know, I was practicing before in Southern California and I moved up to the Bay Area. And it's funny because in medical training, when we learned about heart disease patients, you know, typically our um, average case study was like a 50 or 60 year old old white guy who smoked and ate red meat and uh, or an African-American that had kidney failure from high blood pressure. These were our sort of stereotypical cases that we'd see. And when I came up to the Bay Area where we have a diverse population, I set up shop with a medical group and literally I was right next door to Oracle and I was seeing a lot of um, high-tech engineers coming in of South Asian descent. And when we say South Asia, the majority are Asian Indian and also seeing a lot of Chinese and East Asians as well too. And Aaron, I I was blown away because I started seeing guys develop adult onset diabetes in their early 20s. The first case of heart disease I saw was a 31-year-old who was actually walking on a treadmill when he had his heart attack. And I was like, this is nothing like what I learned about in medical school. It's just so different. And each time I saw these cases, you know, initially I thought, okay, maybe this is an anomaly. But as I sat down and I talked to these patients, I realized that almost all of them had a family history of early heart disease, um, both East Asian and South Asians. And then when I looked into the demographics more, I realized that insulin resistance was just ubiquitous in the Asian Indian population. And early onset heart disease, they were developing heart, heart attacks 10 to 15 years before other populations. So... My next step was to sort of, you know, give them health uh, information and health education resources. But the problem is there's nothing good out there. I mean, literally, our medical group had standard handouts and they had the typical low fat diet. They had the Mediterranean diet. And a lot of, you know, the information I was giving them was actually making the problem worse because it was so carb focused. It was so fiber focused. And oftentimes they'd come see me for follow up and I'd see their triglycerides go up. I'd see their cholesterol get worse. They wouldn't lose any weight at all. And so that was sort of a motivation. Then in the meantime, I decided that, you know, since there's no health education resources, I would go out to companies like Oracle and do my own health education, and which is what I did. And, you know, the the, the frustrating thing is the advice I was giving, I was following. I pretty much saw myself um, become insulin resistant and develop metabolic syndrome myself, even though I was following the standard, you know, American guidelines to the T. So that that really sort of started my journey. Um, It was both a personal, um, you know, motivation watching my own health deteriorate, and then seeing that I was not providing um, effective solutions for my patients and my lecture clients as well, too. So that's kind of when the journey and the research began 10 years ago. And it really evolved. You know, I developed a website for a medical group, um, but I realized that, you know, I really needed to add a different element to this problem. And that's when I sort of started implementing the Atkins-style diet for a lot of my patients. And that worked fairly well. 
but the real challenge was is none of these resources are really culturally tailored. So I truly had engaged diverse um, you know, patient populations, but I couldn't tell them to all of a sudden adopt Atkins or do South Beach. I needed to give them something that was compatible with their Asian Indian diet, with their vegetarian diet, or with their Chinese diet. And that's when I really started focusing more on how can I engage employees with a culturally sensitive solution. Ron, so that's kind of a nutshell of how I got into this. So, Well, Dr. Ron, I really like that approach that you're really customizing uh, these diets to meet uh, certain specific situations. Because a lot of times we'll hear about something like the paleo diet or the primal diet, and it won't quite work for us, and so we have to customize it. When you said that you found that a lot of the diets of the South Asian populations you were working with were really carb-focused. What has your yeah. research um, shown that you found since as far as recovering from heart disease? Yeah, so so basically, you know, the, the, one of the most interesting things I saw in this population before I did this research was um, when I sort of took a dietary intake, which unfortunately I wasn't trained to do in medical school, I clearly saw that there was higher risk in my vegetarian population. And it, it's nothing, you know, I'm not making any anti-vegetarian statements, but one of the things that I noticed is most of my average Indian is, even though they call themselves vegetarian, they're really not vegetarians. They're granitarians. They hardly eat any vegetables at all, but almost every meal is a, a flatbread, a serving of a lentil or a bean um, and rice, basically. So I was finding that more of these patients that were eating that sort of diet, diet, their triglycerides would go up dramatically. They had more of the abdominal fat, and, and these factors were becoming much more of an issue. So I, I started to realize that, you know, obviously there's very different flavors to vegetarians, and given the fact that they've already got that insulin-resistant um, um, tendency, um, you know, a typical Indian vegetarian diet was just wreaking havoc on all fat facets of their health. And I'm kind of heart disease-focused, but, you know, I was realizing that they were developing worse digestive issues, you know, in inflammation, arthritis, the whole gamut, basically. So, so that's when I started having to focus on what are the elements of the Indian diet that I can sort of elicit that would help improve their health. And that's really what attracted me to the paleo-primal movement was the fact that when I started reading these books and looking at the cookbooks, a lot of them were focusing on very traditional Indian ingredients. You know, when you talk about spices and ghee and coconut milk, these are all core standards of the Indian diet, which a lot of Indians have let go of because they've been told by their cardiologist or doctor that you've got to stay away from coconut oil or coconut milk. You've got to stay away from ghee and start eating. You know, a lot of them were non-veg and they turned veg and were um, consuming abundant amounts of grains. And I, I personally saw their health deteriorate. So I was like, wow, there's some really traditional aspects of this diet that can be really worthwhile. Um, and so a lot of times I tell them to bring back the foods that they actually rejected and they see phenomenal results from that. So, mm -hmm. And then when you look at the research, you you know, worldwide, if you look at India, they do have one of the highest incidences of heart disease worldwide. And the thing is, when they immigrate to other countries, the U.S., the U.K., Canada, the risk factors are even higher. And that's what I'd seen in my Silicon Valley population. You know, a lot of times, you know, my Oracle or my Google engineer would see. Uh, Ron, I'm sorry, you just cut out there. You, you said you, you were talking about how a lot of times you would see um People from working from Oracle, and I, and then that's where I lost you. Sorry, yeah. So, so there's this immigrant phenomenon. So we already know that insulin resistance is a rampant problem um, in India. Um, but studies show that when these um, immigrants from India or China come to the U.S., U.K., or other places, their risk factors multiply quite a bit. And I would see that all the time. Sometimes I'd see their labs from China or from India, and I'd look at it, the baseline numbers, and then we'd repeat it after they immigrated here. 
and there are a number of choices. And it was it sort of highlighted the fact that the Western diet had even more negative adverse effects on them, and the fact that they were much more sedentary when they came over to home to here. Um, a lot of vitamin D deficiency um, because um, they're much more spending a lot more time indoors than they were in their native countries. So. So that was the other factor that I realized is that really their traditional homeland, their lifestyle wasn't as great, but it was still good enough where their metabolic numbers were somewhat within the normal range or maybe slightly abnormal. But the minute they came to the U.S. or you know, immigrated to other countries, their risk would get much worse. And the research clearly supports that as well, too. Okay. So, you, met, you know, when I think about um, South Asian type diets, I think about a lot of rice. And haven't they been eating rice for thousands of years and they've been very healthy? Why is it now that suddenly... They're suffering with metabolic syndrome. <laughs> That's a great, you know, you, you sound like my typical Asian Indian because a lot of them, it's frustrating because rice isn't, there's a very cultural, emotional tie to rice in this population. I, I definitely get that question a lot that, you know, we've survived on rice for so many years. And so what I break it down for them is I tell them that there's nothing intrinsically evil about rice. You know, when it comes to being a great, now, rice is a safe starch. It doesn't have anti-nutrients. It's a great source of energy. And one of the examples I give them is, you know, when I used to visit my family in Calcutta, um, we actually had a house on a balcony where we could see the rickshaw drivers um, downstairs in the alley um, eating their meals. And they would eat three to four servings, plate loads of rice. I mean, if I were to t- take in their carb intake, it'd probably be six to 700 grams of carb per day. And they were completely slender and lean. And some of them were ripped. You know, they look like Brad Pitt from Fight Club. And the whole point I make to them is if you're leading that type of active lifestyle, an average rickshawella um, runs 20 to 30,000 steps a day. My average engineer, when I put a Fitbit or a pedometer on him, walks two to 3,000 steps a day. So definitely rice for the traditional Indian culture is a great energy source. But for our Bay Area engineers who sit indoors and don't walk, that's where the um, energy balance becomes way in favor of fat storage and all the issues that we see with insulin. The, issue. <laughs> the, the rice in a completely modern context is causing a lot of problems in that population. Okay. So if yeah. you're exercising a lot, it's okay to have some more carbs. Is that what you're saying? You know, it works in that way. And that's some of the, that's one of the incentives I give my patients is, you know, it's not like we have to ditch the rice completely. If we're able to maintain some good degree of physical activity and the exercise is important. But, you know, one of my focuses now too, Aaron, is I focus on the non-exercise physical activity because, you know, more studies are showing that even if you get to the gym four to five times a week, if your baseline steps per day are not adequate, you're not you know, maintain enough enough energy demand to really push that rice and those carbs towards the muscles. So, you know, like I said, my average engineer is about two to three thousand steps a day. I have them first focus on getting their daily steps above the threshold of five thousand, closer to eight to ten thousand. That alone, for a lot of my patients, without any additional exercise, helps them burn the fuel much more effectively. And if they have small amounts of rice on top of that, then they do a lot better. And then my next phase is adding some muscle training. And if they can do some squatting or other engaging core type exercises, then we see that they metabolize the carbs much better. Oftentimes, what I tell them to do is if they're going to have rice, you know, typically the pattern is they'll sit at the computer all day, they'll come home, and then they'll eat their huge rice-based meal then after being completely sedentary. If they can work in an afternoon workout or an evening workout and then do the rice to refill those sort of glycogen stores, you know, that's better, a better strategy than doing it after a prolonged sedentary period. So, so once they get the science of that, it makes a lot of sense. And then they use, then they time their rice intake or their carb intake a little bit more appropriately. And we see tremendous results from that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Dr. Ron, a lot of the listeners to this program are familiar with the paleo and primal type diets, but I'm really interested in how you culturally tailored um, the South Asian health solution. What are some of the foods that 
can be included in, in your solution to the health problems you've been seeing? Yeah, so, so the key foods to include um, are, are exactly what you said, the paleoprimal type diets. So, you know, we bring back the healthy fats. I definitely spent a lot of time dispelling the myths about saturated fat, you know, and, and this is one of the controversial parts. Even a lot of my patients that are paleoprimal, some are a little bit worried about coconut oil and, and ghee because they're such, you know, high saturated fat sources. And this is something I had to experiment with myself and my patients. So typically when they come in, you know, they're a little hesitant to try those result. And then I tell them, you eat your eggs, your ghee, and your coconut oil freely, and let's recheck your numbers in a month. And luckily, 98% of the time, we see numbers improve as long as they're cutting back on the excessive carbs. I do have a small percent of patients, you know, due to some genetic defects, they are very, um, you know, sensitive to um, saturated fat sources. And sometimes we see the cholesterol get worse. It's a very small percentage, but that's why it is important to maybe do that experiment or check that test in a month to see if that's an issue. But to answer your question, the healthy fats um, are huge. Um, the healthy, um, the, 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 the healthy sources of saturated fat and then bringing back more protein sources. And a lot of my patients that went from non-veg to veg, because of health issues, I try to bring them back to non-veg just because they have more satiating protein options there. And then really teaching my vegetarians to be true vegetarians and not granitarians. So it's funny, in a lot of um, Asian cultures, um, they, they have not been exposed to vegetables like kale, you know, or, or even broccoli is not a core part of their vegetable curry dishes. So I literally educate them about different types of vegetables that they can incorporate into their diet. And the nice thing is once they um, introduce those vegetables, you know, Indian food, I mean, it's got tremendous um, spices and curries. They can make great broccoli curry, you know, once they learn to, um, you know, incorporate that type of vegetable into their diet. So that works really well as well, too. The other tendency I've seen in a lot of tropical populations is they tend to overconsume fruits a lot. We're talking, you know, mangoes and pineapples and papayas. And I've seen major issues with that, especially in a sedentary population. So I try to transition them away from tropical fruit sources and really snacking and consuming more vegetables. And with fruits, too, I have them maybe consume that more as a post-workout snack, and they tend to do better with that. But they can be very sensitive to the effects of excessive fruit in the diet. So th th those are some basics that I tend to focus on with the, uh, with the population. Mm -hmm. So you, you said you, you tend to focus on those uh, satiating proteins and those healthy fats. But give me an idea of like a recipe that you would incorporate into, you know, uh, one of your favorite recipes that you could give a patient that's that's familiar with the South, South Asian foods. Yeah. You know, when I first wrote this book, I was thinking of putting a huge recipe section in the back. But, you know, one thing I'll tell you after doing a lot of research and knowing South Asian culture is, you know, a lot of recipes are very integrated into the culture and they're handed down from generations. And people aren't really, you know, a, a typical Indian is not going to go out and really adopt many new recipes. So my approach with the book was I was going to make it recipe, not recipe intensive, but what I was going to focus on was actually recreating the staple foods. You know, they can keep their, you know, paneer, their chicken curry recipe, the vegetable curries, you know, whatever they like. Like to use as their traditional spices and, and, and then you know basically what I tell them is that they can drop the vegetable oils and start using ghee again. But then what I tell them to do is how do you make cauliflower rice basically? You know, those staple, how do you substitute those grains with vegetable servings? So cauliflower rice has been a lifesaver for a lot of my patients. So I teach them how to make cauliflower rice. A lot of them use shredded cabbage as their base, so they'll fill up the plate with the shredded cabbage curry, which most Indian households know how to make. Um, and, and so once we get them to really use those vegetable grains, the other thing is I have you have them using coconut flour, which most are not familiar with. So literally in my book, I um, you know I, I tested this 
out with my mom and we came up with a good coconut flour chapati flatbread recipe, which is nice and low carb and very high protein. So now again, they, they get to enjoy their shrimp or their lamb curry. But the only thing we're changing out is the carbs that they're having with it in this form of coconut flour chapatis or shredded vegetables or cauliflower rice. And to them, that, that, that's such a huge win. I mean, the fact that they can keep their meat-based curries, you know, the paneer, you know, I know there's some controversy about dairy um, in the paleoprimal world and people go both ways on that. But, you know, with my vegetarian patients, I let them keep the dairy. I just ask them to really do high-quality, full-fat dairy. If they're making paneer, you know, those cheese cubes at home, um, use, a, uh, you know, a, a good quality milk to do that. And I really see good results with it. I've really not seen many adverse effects from dairy, except in some cases maybe some allergy and eczema and inflammatory response. But in general, people do really well. So, so, so really, it, you can take any traditional Indian cookbook, uh, you know, from Amazon, wherever, and use those recipes, but just switch out the grains and people do really well. Well, that's kind of more my key approach. And how long does it take to turn someone's health around who's having heart uh, or showing signs of heart disease or pre-diabetes? Yeah. And, you know, the key thing about this is I know even though the title is South Asian Health Solution, for me, this actually served as a model of how long does it take a high risk patient since Indians are so high risk. And literally, I'd say on average, when people come in with metabolic syndrome, I'd say within three to four weeks, I can turn around most numbers and a lot of times get them down, you know, to normal, which is amazing because these are patients that have had abnormal numbers for years. So I'd say on the early end, three to four weeks, I'd say more like two to three months. And it really depends on the level of insulin resistance and the level of motivation on each patient. And, you know, once you assess the level of motivations, then I either put them on more of a gradual plan. If they're more motivated, then I might do a complete elimination of all the excessive carbohydrates and put them on a more intensive program. So anywhere from one to three months is when I really start to see significant changes. And the neat thing is, you know, a lot of these patients that come from these cultures, they're very um, good at math and they're engineers and they like numbers. And why I show them that, okay, if you're consuming this many grams of carbs, you're taking this many steps, look how your triglycerides did, look how your abdominal circumference is. A lot of them will literally build out spreadsheets and look at these numbers. They're really motivated when they see those changes. That, that, that really helps sustain them. You know, just giving them general recommendations doesn't really do a whole lot, but when you can put numbers to it, then they really stay motivated with that. Mm -hmm. Dr. Ron, as a doctor, have you been surprised by how powerful this type of diet is? I mean, you say it's good for cholesterol and, and blood sugar, but are there also other health uh, problems that go away once you adopt this type of diet? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I've been blown away because my initial um, impact was to try to help treat the blood pressure, the diabetes, and the cholesterol. And that was sort of my target. Um, but as a result, you know, just subjective things like sleep and energy. And a lot of these patients, it's funny, I mean, most Indians, when I saw them in the beginning, almost everybody would complain about bloating, acid reflux, gas, and digestive issues. I mean, Indians and Asians are obsessed with their digestive function. And I almost accepted that as a normal part of being Indian is everybody's bloated, they're always belching, they're having gas and issues, but that would just disappear completely. And you just, you just realize that their gut health was destroyed by their prior diet. So improvements in gut health. There's a lot of eczema in the Asian and Indian community. And again, I had no idea when I came out of medical school that diet had such an impact on that. And just watching people's skin clear up, these eczema patches that they were taking high-potency steroid creams for, watching that improve obviously was great. And just, you know, I take care of a lot of executives and just seeing their cognitive and mental performance and their productivity improve, that was a huge win too. So you're absolutely right. The fringe benefits have been enormous, you know, and, and now a lot of times to me that's to sell because a lot 
lot of people are sort of desensitized about heart attack risk and you just get overloaded with that so much. But when you talk about improving energy, brain function, quality of life, a lot of times that really hits home a lot more than the more, you know, death defying, you know, chronic diseases that people are already exposed to. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Yeah. Ron, I'm really excited to get your book and, and go through it and look at maybe a few of the recipes. Where do you recommend sure. people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so if you go to my blog, it's called SouthAsianHealthSolution.org. Um, so that'd be a great place to go. The book's already on Amazon. There's a link um, on that page as well, too. And um, yeah, and, and you know, I, I think one of the most um, you know popular parts of the book has been um, the fact that I really break down the cholesterol and lab test guidelines. You know, when I started writing this book, I was going to target more to patients, but what I'm realizing is that our physicians are so uninformed that every section of my chapter actually has um, tips on how doctors and health practitioners and coaches can use this data too. Because, you know, for every doctor I'm able to convince, that's about 1,000 to 1,500 patients I can influence. So so it is, it, it's a resource that um, I think hopefully is going to be used both by patients and doctors alone. But, but the blog a great starting place to find out more about the book. Great, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Dr. Ron, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been great. Thanks so much for having me, Erin. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. For more information, go to paleorunner.org. Email feedback to Aaron at paleorunner.org.